The following audio is from the Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to the Grove today. Hey, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 as we take on part three in our series, Bad Advice. But before we jump into that, um, I kind of want to make a comment about something. There was an article that came out in the Marysville Globe um, last couple of days, and um, it had to do with us and the sale of our property up north um, and, and what's going on. The, the tribe the tribes is appealing the sale, and that's the right to do that, or the development of it, and, and that's the right to do. But there was something that came out in the article that, that came from an individual in the church that I'm going to be very clear does not represent us as a church or our leadership. And the reason I say that is because um, one of the comments that was made, and whether it was misconstrued, misunderstood, or, or that's the way that it was said, basically the idea was, wow, because we do iHeart, and iHeart involves some of the projects that we do out on the Tulalip Reservation and stuff, you know, they should play nice with us, or they should whatever, and they shouldn't be able to appeal, or something like that. And, and to me, that has the aura of like, hey, look what we did, and you should do us favors because of that. And what I want to be very clear about is, we do not do iHeart expecting anything in return from anyone. We do iHeart because we believe it's a way for people to see the love of Jesus through you and I serving all over our county with no strings attached. And so I want to be super clear um, about that. Um, I realize, I realize we live in a world of, of free speech, and, and obviously anybody in the church has a voice to say all kinds of things, but, but part of the problem is it created a bit of a firestorm with some individuals um, on the Tulip tribes, and we have good relationship, and we want to try to maintain our relationship because we do value relationships. So anyway, I just want to be clear about that, and um, I've said before, hey, with the appeal going on, that's okay. That's anybody's right to do, but I would encourage you, let's pray, let's bring this to the Lord, and, and just let God be the Lord over what's going on because we say, all the time. We trust him. Well, let's actually live it out by doing that through this process. And that's how that's going to go. So anyway, just wanted to say that. The other thing I want to do is I want to celebrate that today um, we've launched our second campus at Grove Snohomish. And um, yeah, it's really cool. Um, that's Andrew, Pastor Andrew Munoz and, and a whole team and then a bunch of people that joined him um, as, as kind of the launch team over there. Um, they had their service. I think it kind of wrapped up here just a little bit ago. But what I want to do is just pray alongside of them. I know their service is over, but I uh, just want to pray for them and then we'll jump into Matthew 16 here. Father, thank you so much that our desire always is to, uh, Lord, be an influence for Christ. We want people to see your love, and God, whether that's through iHeart or, or God, it's, it's the ability to uh, have services here right, right in town in Marysville, or it's the opportunity at Grove Snohomish, God, to expand influence and help people see you. I'm grateful for that. And we pray together for your blessing, God, over, over Andrew as he's leading the way, over the team and so many different people that have jumped in to help and to serve and to make a difference, God. It's a little different world where it's a lot of setup and tear down and stuff, but we just pray your hand. We pray grace. We pray your love. We pray for awesome unity. And more than anything, God, we pray that lives would be impacted for the sake of the gospel, that people would hear the message of Jesus and how much, God, you love them, God, and acknowledge that in their lives. In your name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Continue to pray. And uh, again, their, their service wrapped up just a little bit ago. So uh, bad advice, part three today. And Matthew 16 is where we're going to land. But what I want to do is Ryan did a great job last week talking about the book of Job and a whole bunch of bad advice from some friends. But um, I encourage you to listen to that. What I want to do today is I want to discuss where bad advice comes from. And by a raise of hands, how many uh, of us would say we've received bad advice, let's say from a movie? Just raise your hand. 
Got bad advice, movie, yep, there's some bad advice. How about, uh, how many would say um, a song? You listen to a song and you're like, okay, sounds good, but boy, that's not good advice. Okay, how about um, a social media post? Raise your hand, social media, like, yep, yeah, a lot of us. Okay, how about uh, just a website? You go to a website, you type it, you look it up, some bad advice on there, yeah. Um, how many of you would say, You've received bad advice from a family member. Just raise your hands. Yeah, <laughs> more hands than all the other kids. That's, I don't know what to say about that, but I'm gonna leave it alone. Um, how about from a trusted friend? Like you got advice, you care about you, but not good advice. Okay, bad advice. Today, I wanna talk about um, bad advice that comes from the most innocent of sources. And Matthew 16 is, is something I want to talk through. I'm going to read verses 21, 22, and 23, but we're actually going to look at the whole of the chapter today. So starting in verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are, mere, uh, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, I'm going to rewind for a second. And at the beginning of the chapter, I'm going, to, I'm going to break it down and take us through three segments of the first part of the chapter that really make the way for what we just read. In, in verses one through four, Jesus has an encounter with Pharisees and Sadducees, they're the, the, religi the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and the encounter kind of goes like this. They, they come before Jesus and they demand a sign from him proving that he's the Messiah. And, and the problem is that their motive is wrong. And there's times where in our lives, and this can happen, where it's bad advice that we go, God, give me a sign. God, if you really this, or you really care, if you really do, if, you really, if you're powerful, whatever, then do this and I'll believe in you. Then do this and it means that you're real. Then do this and it means you love me. And we all have to be very careful about that because the motive of the religious leaders of Jesus' day was not simply, hey, we want to believe, but in fact, theirs was kind of the opposite. They were looking for more reason to doubt and to build a case against Jesus so that later on they would have him tried, you know, arrested, killed, all that stuff. So, so the first bad advice here is demand a sign. That's verses one through four. Verses five through 12 of Matthew 16, Jesus is warning the disciples to be on their guard against the bad advice of the religious leaders. He tells them that he basically is saying they're giving bad advice. Do not listen to what they say. Later on in Matthew, just a bunch of chapters later, he's gonna say, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, basically because they're, they're handing out a slew of bad advice in all kinds of forms. So he says, be on your guard against bad advice. And then in verses 13 through 20, and I know I'm paraphrasing a lot here, verses 13 through 20, there's a conversation about, Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And there's a couple of different answers. And then Peter steps in and boldly declares, you are the Christ, you are, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus realizes right here, this needs to be a teaching moment for all the disciples to understand, including you and I. Okay? Jesus uses it as a teaching moment because the entire goal here in the, in the whole of six, Matthew 16 so far is be aware of bad advice because there's all kinds of bad advice out there from bad sources, from good sources, from normal places, from obscure places. Be aware 
and discerning of bad advice and hold t- tightly, <clears throat> excuse me, hold tightly to good advice. Now, that comes up because Jesus' response to Peter is this and to the disciples. That was not revealed to you, Peter, by human reasoning. That was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. And so he's reminding them to hold tightly to real wisdom, which brings us to the text that I just read. From that time on, Peter declaring through the Holy Spirit who Jesus is as a Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, the disciples clearly heard that Jesus confirmed that he is the Messiah. And he tells them now he must suffer greatly and even die. Keep in mind that the disciples, along with most of Israel, was not looking for for a Messiah that would come and suffer, but was looking for a Messiah that would be a conquering king, that would be kind of this this ruler that would take them from Roman occupation and liberate them and, and, and allow them to be their own nation prosperous under his leadership. And Jesus instead says he must suffer greatly and even die So Peter has gone from the warning, be aware of bad advice, to the acknowledgement that he's learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, and now to the opposite, which is is why it says Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, meaning Jesus, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter is likely trying to be a good friend. If you are hanging out with somebody you care about, you're having a good time, and your friend turns to you and says, hey, you know, I'm supposed to go out to Granite Falls, but you know, these guys are probably going to beat me up or go out to everywhere, and guys are going to beat me up and whatever, you'd be like, don't go. Or go, I'll go with you and I'll bring a bat or, or whatever because we want to be a good friend. Okay? In the same way, Peter's probably just trying to be a good friend. It comes from a good motive, and the motive would be pain avoidance. I don't want my friend to have to go through this. And yet what happens is it could easily become, and this was the warning, a theology of bad advice that I would call pain avoidance. People that come into our lives and we're going through a certain trial, we're going through something emotionally or physically or spiritually or relationally, And somebody comes into our lives and they go, I'm so sorry you're going through this and I hate that you have to go through this. I want to walk through this with you. And those are all great things to say. And you've probably said some of those things. But here's a phrase that you ought to uh, be warned about, a yellow or a red flag. You shouldn't have to go through this. Now, obviously there's nothing wrong with wanting to comfort, encourage, provide support but, but if we get into the, the theology of pain avoidance and we buy into the phrase, I shouldn't have to go through this, there's, there's something that takes place as I process and begin to believe that. And here's what happens. We process our pain differently. Think about this. If we're looking to avoid pain and we're in pain, we do something far different than if we're in pain and we're gonna navigate through pain. And in a lot of ways, the different trials that you face, in a lot of ways, the different issues that I go through, the tests of my faith are there and there's something God wants to do with them. So instead of us going, I don't deserve, they're right, I don't deserve to go through this 
And instead of saying, God, why am I going through this? Instead, and you should be taking notes and writing this down, instead you should be asking, God, what can I learn through this? And that's the difference. Because like I said, if we're looking to get out of it, we process our pain differently. And what happens is we miss out on what we could learn because we're no longer looking at how to go through the pain, but instead we're looking at how to escape the pain. There's all kinds of examples, but one of them that, that comes to mind is in, in marriage or seasons of, of life and marriage that things get tough and, and, and nobody is exempt from that. Seasons that, man, it's just daunting and you're kind of button heads a little bit. Things aren't going so well. And think about this. It's way different if, if our theology is pain avoidance and we're in a tough marriage and we go, you know what? I just want out. And so instead of navigating through, you meet with the lawyer and you get the paperwork, all that stuff. Instead of, this is a tough season, these things are not good, but dear God, what do I do and what can I learn to get through this so we can eventually have a better marriage on the other end? And so that's just one example. There's, there's all kinds of ways that when we process it, process it correctly, we can learn what God intends us to learn. James 1 verse 2 is a pretty famous verse, I guess, if you know the Bible very well or you've been around church world for any length of time. But James writes this to, to, to he says, to, to 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And we hear that and go, you're psycho. That's nuts. That's stupid. But he doesn't end it there. It's, it's not, hey, give me the pain. Give me, I want to go through this. I'm looking forward to it. He's not saying pain isn't difficult. He's not saying we don't grieve in seasons we go through that we're overwhelmed and we don't know how to get out and we don't know what it looks like. But he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, we hear the last part of that verse and go, you know what, Lord, I want to be mature. I want to be complete. I don't want to lack anything, God. Make me who you want me to be. But we don't like the first part where he's saying, you want to get there? You're going through trials and tests. So it's this thing where instead of a theology, the bad advice of you don't deserve to go through this, Set that conversation aside. You're being judged. God hates you. You're whatever. No, no, no. God, not about why you're going through it, but God, what can I learn in the midst of it? And that takes maturity. We process pain differently if we're only looking for escape, one. Two, we miss what we could learn because we're no longer looking at how to go through it, but how to get out of it. And then three, Three, we rob others in the future of what we should have learned and what they might learn from us. You understand that, that in the seasons that you go through that can be very dark and very challenging and, and, and painful, and I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm trying to make light of it at all. But you realize that part of navigating through that is your ability in the future to help somebody else that's going through it someday. It's not just about you. It's not just about what's going on in your life or what you have time or bandwidth for or what you deserve or don't deserve. 
It's about realizing that there's a world bigger than you and God would give you stage. God would give you opportunity with people that you would never be able to connect with having not gone through certain things. Have you ever noticed that? You go through something and life's really tough and overwhelming and you get through it and sometime later, weeks, months, maybe years later, you're able to share your story with somebody and somebody connects with you and goes, thank you so much. I needed somebody who understood because it seemed like nobody did. Anyone ever been there? Because God wants us to be able to use that pain. It's not that we are great, big deal, that's it. It hurts, it does hurt, but God wants to use us. One pastor said it this way, suffering and the very things we dread or wish to push away may be the very things that are our ticket into relationships and conversations that we would never have had without our suffering. Maybe our wounds are what will open doors we could never have walked through before. He goes on to say, maybe our trials and uh, what will cause us to stop long, are what could cause us to stop long enough to listen to our heavenly Father's soft whispers. And then finally, our pain may be the very thing to increase our influence and give us opportunity to speak. We're called to allow our difficulties, trials, and setbacks to be a testimony to others of God's faithfulness in walking with us. What if, this is it, what if the very thing you think is holding you back the most is the very thing which God wants to use to fulfill the calling of your life and make you a person of influence? See, the problem with pain avoidance is it turns into lesson avoidance. The problem with pain avoidance is it turns into lesson avoidance. There, there's a book that I've referred to a couple of times. My wife and I have walked through this, but it's called 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can Avoid by Tim Elmore. And if you're looking for it, we'll put it out there on social media this week because um, I didn't put a graphic of it. But a um, couple of things I want to read. Listen to this. This is now, this is talking about raising children, raising adolescents, teenagers. But honestly, this applies to all of us. And I want you to hear it. We've seen that American parents view pain as a negative thing. The same is true with struggle. We've created a world of conveniences filled with smartphones, microwaves, internet shopping, online banking. The subtle message is that struggles are to be avoided. We want as much convenience as possible. In fact, we feel entitled to it. But we fail to see that when we remove the struggles from our children's lives, we begin to render them helpless. They don't have the uh, opportunity to develop the life skills they'll need later on. Further, when we step in to control their levels of struggle, they don't learn how to be in control or under control themselves. In fact, listen to this, all they learn is how to be controlled. I don't think that's what we want our kids to know as adults. When we remove struggles, we actually do more to harm them than the struggles would have caused. Kids lose the opportunity to develop resilience, creativity, and problem-solving skills. We actually train young people to need help every step of the way. And this is not just for parents. This is teachers, faculty, anybody involved in working with young people, but this applies to adults as well. I'm going to read one more portion, and then we'll move on goes on to say this, unfortunately, as I've stated, children who avoid stressful situations are more likely to develop anxiety, according to an analysis of parent and child surveys conducted by Mayo Clinic researchers. The underlying theory isn't new. An absence of risk and challenge in childhood leads to nervousness and anxiety later on. 
But researchers were surprised that their surveys on avoidance had the ability to predict which children would develop more anxiety a year later. The researchers asked parents to respond to questions like this. When your child is scared or worried about something, does he or she ask to do it later? And they asked children to respond to statements like this. When I feel scared or worried about something, I try not to go near it. Children who said they avoided scary situations tended to post higher anxiety scores when they were surveyed again eight to 12 months later. That was consistent with the model for how anxiety disorders develop. Kids who avoid fearful situations don't have the opportunity to face their fears and don't learn that fears are manageable. Now, I know I read a lot, and that's great for parents, teachers, whatever, but the truth is, think about how that applies to you and me. If we live in pain avoidance, if that's our theology and that's the advice that we take into ourselves, then we don't know how to cope when something does come our way and we're called to confront it. And so we avoid those situations, we avoid those people, we don't have the depth we need or the maturity that God wants to develop in us. Think about Paul, and if you're taking notes, you can write down Acts chapter 9, verse 16. In Acts chapter 9, Paul is Saul, and he's persecuting the church. He's out there, and he's watching them be tortured and watching Christians be killed. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 9, he's on the road to Damascus where Jesus, there's like a vision he has and a light from heaven, and he falls on his face, and he's like, who are you? And, and the voice from heaven says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And really, literally, that's the moment that, that Saul is converted. His name is changed to Paul, but Paul becomes an advocate for Christianity. He spreads the message all over. But I want you to notice something. When Paul gets up from the ground, he's a changed man. He believes in Jesus now, you can imagine, but, but he can't see. And so he's told to go down to, to, to Damascus, head into Damascus, and somebody's going to pray for him. He's going to be able to see. And the Spirit of God goes on ahead and appears to a guy named Ananias and says, hey, um, there's a guy that's blind. You're going to pray for him to receive his sight. And he's like, well, who is he? He's Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias says, I'm not praying for him. He wants to kill me. He wants to kill all of us. And the Lord says, no, 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 you don't understand. And chapter 9, verse 16 literally says, I have shown him how much he must suffer for my name. What? What about if we love God, things should always be good? What about if we're committed to Jesus, everything's going to be peachy? What about Jeremiah 29, 11? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you a hope in the future. That doesn't say you won't go through things. We get some idea through verses like that that everything's peachy. That's not the case. And Paul is a testimony of it. Later on, he's traveled all over and preached the gospel and seen churches established, and he writes letters. And one of those letters is 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 12, he says this in verse 7. He's had revelation. He's talking about his credentials. He says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, prideful, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. And we all go like, what in the world? Rebuke that, you know? Um, and then in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And again, there's nothing wrong with we go, God, would you do, would you remove this? God, would you get God, would you get me out of this? That's okay. We can pray, God, do something here, do a miracle. That's great. But Paul says that was not in my sense, and the Holy Spirit in him. He says, My sense was I'm gonna have this, and there's a lesson I'm gonna learn from it instead of it being removed from me. 
And he says this. This is what the response. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And now here's Paul's theology of enduring these trials. Listen, therefore, I will boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power rests on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was saying through the maturity he's learned in his theology that when he looks at the trials, the pain, the emotional, the physical, all that he would go through, that when he's weak, his confession is, I bring that to the Lord because in my weakness, God leverages it for his strength. And that's what you and I need to learn. That when we're going through whatever we're going through, not the why me, I don't deserve this, but the what can I learn in the midst of this? Now, Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And that seems so harsh. You are a stumbling block to me. And he's looking at Peter. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And you look at that and go, why is Jesus so harsh with Peter? He's just trying to be a good friend. But go back to the entirety of the chapter. He has already said, be aware of bad advice. Peter, great job listening to the Holy Spirit. And now, Peter, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. So be warned, that cannot be taken lightly. Have you ever noticed in the world that you and I live in that there's a lot of bad advice out there and when we want the advice we want, we gather the people that will give us that advice. That, that we, we can make all kinds of excuses for things that we shouldn't do based on our ability to go, well, I know that if I meet with the pastor, he's gonna say this, so I'm not meeting with him. And I know people have done that. I'm well aware. Oh, they're going through that. They never told me even the weeks ago we were talking, everything's good. Now they ignore me because they wanna do that and they know that's not gonna be good. And it happens to you as well. And what it comes down to for all of us is the human condition, the issue of sin in our lives. And it's not that we excuse sin or it's no big deal, but the problem is it distorts our ability to walk in wisdom. That's why Paul at one point, as he's training up Timothy, says in Timothy, be aware of people that eventually someday will only gather around them what their itching ears want to hear. Be aware, we all have that tendency. Oh, I know they wouldn't agree, so I'm not gonna talk to them about it. I know they might give me a green light here, so we're gonna hang out. And we have the ability to do that. It's, it's why the other thing I, I'm always cautioned about is cherry-picking Bible verses. You just pick one here that sounds good and one over here that's good, and boy, that looks good on a fridge, and I should put that on a, you know, on a wall in my house. And, but but the, the danger is that when we, when we don't read the whole of it, that, that we misunderstand some of what's going on, it's why you look at Jesus and go, why is he so mean to Peter? Well, read the whole chapter. He's trying to get Peter to be diligent about truth against bad advice. That's why. And he's serious about it. Because eventually, Peter's going to be the leader of the church. He's the first disciple to stand up and preach the gospel message in the book of Acts. If anybody needed to get things right, it was Peter. So we go, boy, that's harsh. But he desperately wanted Peter to understand. Do not take lightly our need to surrender our hearts to the Holy Spirit. 
I'll say it again, be a Bible reader. We talk about all the time reading through the whole Bible every year at this church. At the Grove, we put out a plan every January and you can jump on any time of the year. Right now is totally fine. But if you read three, four, five chapters a day, you can read through the whole Bible every year and that's a pattern that I've gotten into and many of us have jumped on. The, the beauty of it is you get the whole of it, not the cherry picked stuff. And I'll just say it and this is a bit of a sidebar, Colts come from people who cherry pick some but don't take the whole of it. I'm just gonna be honest, there's all kinds of weird stuff out there and groups that do this, this or that and some of it's Bible-based and some of it's amazing and some of it's like wacko and not good and cultic and it's because they don't take the whole of it and understand it. And we're called, you guys, to do that. How many times, and this is just a challenge for all of us, how many times in scripture do we hear, be alert, be fervent, Be diligent, be on your guard, be aware, be discerning, be prayerful. And now look at what follows the conversation with Peter and Jesus. Jesus rebukes Peter because he's he's not thinking clearly and, and, and Jesus needs him to get it right. But then he turns to the disciples, which today would be you and me, if you're a follower of Christ in here. And he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And I'm just gonna read verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We're called to lay down what we think and surrender to what God thinks. And in a world full of bad advice that can come from even the most innocent places, a good friend that means well. What if we simply go, God, I want what you want over what I want. When Heather and I were dating a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away (laughs) called the early 90s, her family, I met her, we were going to Pilchuck and stuff, and and, um, her family, not long after I I started really liking her, they moved to Rockford. Her dad was doing some ministry and ended up in a job in Rockford, Illinois, and I was pretty broken up about it, and I've I've still got letters and stuff that every now and then I can look at and go, wow, I was pitiful, but anyway... um, but, but Heather always has been a lot wiser than, than me, and, and she sent me this card with a poem on it that, for some reason, has always stuck out to me, and part of it was I, I kept it in, in front of me, like when I go to bed, I had it on my head, but which is pitiful. Anyway, so, but, um, <laughs> TMI, right? Here, here's, what it, I, I, here's what it said. I'd rather gather roses without thorns, Lord, a bright and fragrant, beautiful bouquet, to decorate my world with pretty pleasures, the brambles and the briars I'll throw away. But you say I must pick thorns as well, Lord, though they'll pierce my heart and sting my soul. You say that pain is a part of peace. You tell me that breaking is a part of being whole. You say that if I truly want to know you, I must count everything but Christ a loss. You ask me to exchange my will for yours, Lord, to trade contentment's kingdom for a cross. And so I come before you weak but willing. I seek to walk your path and not my own. I choose to share the crown of thorns you wore, Lord, until I kneel before your royal throne. And I I love that poem. It's by B.J. Hoff. You can look it up and find it. But, But here's the thing as we end today. Maybe you've been guilty of avoiding uncomfortable situations or conversations because it'll be painful 
But the fact is the relationship is not where it needs to be because you refuse to go there. Maybe you're in here and you've been looking at a rough or painful season and maybe you've been looking through the lens of of avoiding or getting out of it rather than realizing maybe you're called to endure it. Or maybe you're the one that gives advice and very often the advice has more to do with pain avoidance than getting through and maybe it's time to rethink the advice you give. Father, today, I think there's probably a lot of facets, Lord, to this conversation, but Father, we pray, God, for you to do a work in us, helping us realize that, that we're, not, we're not masochists. We don't embrace pain like, yay. But God, we are called to endure pain. That that's part of being a disciple. And, and while there's plenty of things that we really, that's not fair. I shouldn't have to go through this. That shouldn't have to happen. I don't know that we can always jump on that, but God, I do believe that we could say, God, what can I learn in the midst of this? What, what, what can I take in in that circumstance that I'm facing? And Father, for some today that are in the middle of something absolutely overwhelming, God, I pray for you to, to minister amazingly to their hearts and, and be their source and, and the, the, where they go and to lean on because God, life can be pretty overwhelming at times. Father, for some that we need to shift our theology, it's not just about avoiding pain all the time, but God, enduring and growing through it. And for some of us realizing, boy, I think a lot of the advice I give has more to do with getting people out than helping people through. Father, help us all, God, to process how you want in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.